0: hey what's going on this is chris adams and i'm here with channing korea and um i'm not really sure what the hell we're gonna call this podcast or not yet it's uh, a little bit of hunting some call making uh some general uh just talking and bullshit what's going on channing hey how's it going bud oh not too bad man just got done eating some dinner and uh trying to get the kids settled down and you know just see what's going on it's uh in the middle of duck season here in missouri and it's just absolute trash in southwest missouri we had no food all year long so all the ducks pushed further south towards you guys i
1: don't know where they went because they missed me
0: oklahoma Uh, man oklahoma's the new arkansas
1: that's what i'm hearing even some of the guys that are up in north texas they're beating them up pretty good there but this has been the slowest season that i've had yet i've killed six ducks so far this year
0: i've uh seen one duck killed mind you i haven't gone out the hundred days like i'm used to going out all over the country but it hasn't been worth going out so uh we've even our local honkers is kind of what we've been focusing on it's been pretty trash the up and down weather they've been feeding all sorts of goofy times of the day so i've been staying in the shop making calls
1: and that's about all we've been doing down here it's just gotten to the point where i've got two different spots that i hunt predominantly so I've got a place that's out on the bay where I've actually got a cabin out there and it's marsh but it's brackish water so when you go out there you just gotta it's a pain cleaning the boat out It makes sure you get all salt water off of everything when you get back in but uh, it, you can't really get out of the boat and stand or wade out there just because it's gumbo so we've been out there a couple of times and they're just there was hardly anything out there. I've seen a bunch of pictures from people shooting them out there afterwards. So I don't know if they just disappear whenever I get out there or what. So we had not seen anything out there They're on the river.
0: That's generally lucky. how it happens.
1: See. Oh, every single time, it seems like. Because I'll leave and we won't go back out there for a couple weeks. And then you just see pictures and pictures of people beating them up. But even 10 miles down the road from where we're out, out there, I mean, they get them taking a bunch of ducks in so it's hit and miss all the time man it's crazy
0: i freaking i do i drive all over the place for my job so i'll be out on the road all over missouri i'll drive you know 300 400 miles a day in missouri and i just have not seen anything in predominantly pretty decent areas of missouri you know not uh not southeast missouri where You know, everybody likes to go, but, you know, decent areas, and I just have not seen anything worthwhile. You eating some chips over there or something?
1: No, 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 I was picking up a a bag off the ground. I didn't realize it was that
0: loud. You're good, man. Um, So, basically, what we'll get into is just kind of talk a little bit about your history. I know before we started this thing, we were kind of talking about it, and uh, this is the first time we've actually talked on the phone, and I always assumed your name was... Korea, because, uh, you know, the Astros player and the similar spelling, and you actually told me it's Korea, and then you started telling me a little bit about your story and uh, where your family's actually from. So, what was that about again?
1: Yeah, so ever since Carlos Correa got, or he's uh, Korea, ever since he got drafted, is he's uh, Puerto Rican, I believe, everybody just assumed, because it's the same spelling, everybody since then has kind of assumed that. I'm Hispanic or Puerto Rican because of the spelling of it, and they hear the announcers on TV. Uh, But I'm actually Italian. I'm Italian and Irish. So my family, half of them split during the war. Half of them went to South America, and the other half went to Brooklyn. And uh, we are directly related to the Ferrari car company. So my dad's last name is Ferrari Korea because they take both last names over there.
0: Well, that explains how Sorry. you build Ferrari duck calls.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't give myself that kind of credit.
0: <laughs> well, I told you, I build uh, Reno Hooker duck calls, and you're over here building Vegas Ferraris, so it makes sense.
1: Hey, each one serves a purpose, though. That's
0: right. <laughs> Late at night, when you need a lady of the night, come to Unstable Calls.
1: It's funny, too, because I'll have customers tell me all the time, because I'm a stickler with especially a ca finish so i go a little bit overboard with before i'll send one out just because i'm ocd about it but it, one of the things that i'll have customers tell me it's something's too pretty to be hunted i tell them always the same thing take it out hunt it beat it up if you mess it up send it to me have zero problem redoing a finish on a duck call if it got beat up in the field doing what it was supposed to be doing
0: all right right, exactly
1: So it's always kind of hit and miss. The biggest thing is making something that people are going to use and make memories with. That's actually how I ended up in this in the first place. But I don't want them just sitting on shelves. I'm glad people like them that much that they want to display it. But I always tell everybody, if you want to see a finish, that's fine. But don't be scared to take it out and use it.
0: Well, yeah, you can always fix it. It's a, a huge hassle to have to redo it. But, I mean, that's kind of why we – That's if you use it and you're a call maker, like you just know that as a call maker, that uh, eventually one day you're going to have to strip it down and re- redo it.
1: Exactly. And I think a lot of it's a stigma from you've got some of these older calls or different calls where they have like a sprayed lacquer finish.
0: Yeah, and, and those things got, are done.
1: Yeah, it's got like two coats on it it's shiny enough when it leaves yeah if you take that out on a lanyard and banging around a little bit you're going to start chipping it or it's going to start turning white and hazing when it gets wet and so a lot of it comes down to the quality of the finish too
0: well yeah and you know most call makers are so secretive of uh of their finish it's kind of funny you know everybody has a ca video everybody will teach you how to ca everybody will teach you how to oil dip but uh if you start asking people some of uh, you know, these other different things that they do, nobody will tell you anything.
1: See, and that's one of the things that's always kind of bothered me. And there's some guys that will tell you everything. So that was one of the first things I learned when I started making calls was it's like a secret society. I mean, there's tons of information out there, but it's not, there's no one-stop shop to learn everything. And a lot of it, you've got to learn the hard way. Exactly. When it comes to the sound. You've got to learn it the hard way, but there's a lot of heartache that can be saved. Like I found THO Game Call Forums, and that helped me a ton, but we're in a different age now as far as technology goes, where social media has kind of taken away a lot of the forums and the boards where people are interacting back and forth, so a lot of that stuff on there is pretty dated or it's just not upkept anymore. Oh, yeah. The groups on Facebook. Facebook...
0: The groups on Facebook now are the new forums.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, I get it. It's, uh, we're in a I-want-it-now generation to where technology is giving you the capabilities to where whatever you think or whatever you're looking for. When you can't find it instantly now, it's almost like it's not worth looking for if you can't find it in two minutes just because you can find anything on the Internet that fast these days. Right, but what you can't find is how to do a ca finish on a duck call or how far to drill a tone channel or what the board does if you sand it on the end that's all the things that it's a lot more difficult to find information on when you're first getting started
0: yeah yeah definitely and the you know there's a certain stigma with being a new a new guy if you start with a, a public jig or a You know a public insert you know like an echo or something like that you're pretty much immediately written off um so the the only way you can really start is just get a flat jig and just get out there and make a lot of firewood
1: see i'm always kind of and i tell people all the time the best piece of advice i got when it came to sound was exactly that get a flat jig and learn what different things do on that board because I did exactly what you were just talking about. The, the whole reason I got a lathe originally was I wanted to make a duck call. i a full wood shop where I've been building custom furniture, but I wanted to make a duck call because that meant something to me. I wanted to make a call similar to the one that my grandfather had handed down to me because that call brought back all kinds of memories whenever I went to go grab it when I was actually getting to go hunt again. And having a full wood shop, that was what I wanted to do. I said, all right, I'm going to make something like this. And it it looks absolutely nothing like his. (laughs) But doing that, as soon as I started spinning calls, I didn't want to stop. It's all I was doing to where I had tabletop orders that I had to get done for paying customers that – I was in up running way behind on deadlines because instead of working on those, I was over on a way destroying wood.
0: Yeah. But at least at that point, you know, you're doing something you really love. Um, and that's
1: what it came down to, yeah. to for me. So I used to work for AT&T. I was in a leadership role there. I had been doing telco work since I was 17. Um, I was with them for 12 years, and when I left, I was over, I got moved all over the city of Houston, but I was over the DirecTV and Uverse field operations, um, and I just, I got to where I hated getting up and going to work every day, woodwork, period, whether it's calls, furniture, what have you, was always something I've been passionate about. Even since I was a little kid, my grandfather made toys. So he had a full wood shop, and I would sit in his shop messing with the toys that he was making. So I've been around it since I was five or six years old. And, like, stuff with the finish, he just ingrained it in me since I was that young. It doesn't matter how nice the wood is. It doesn't matter how nice what it is you built. If you put a crappy finish on top of it, the whole thing is garbage what he used to tell me constantly i don't know how many times he made me sand something down he made me sand down blocks just regular square blocks he had on the ground that i had painted on and sprayed a lacquer finish on it he made it sand it down and start over again because it had orange peel
0: well yeah that's the and you know that finish is the first thing people see
1: exactly so, so I, that's kind of how I fell into it. I left the corporate world to start doing this full-time, and what started as furniture. If you'd have told me when I left that day to do woodwork full-time that I would be a full-time call maker, a year later, I would have laughed in your face and told you there's to, no way, because I had zero even thought. I didn't even know there was a world of custom calls at that point.
0: So you you just start. what year did you start turning calls?
1: Uh, this is going into the second year for me now, doing it full-time.
0: So, when did you make your first up call? What year was that?
1: That was 2018.
0: That's crazy, man. That's crazy. To see where you have come in two years is phenomenal.
1: It's been crazy, because I never expected it. I never... When I started making them, it was never my goal to... Shut down building furniture and build calls full time. I never thought that I would be doing that. I was blown away that people wanted them. But I found call nuts on accident just by looking up custom duck balls. Then I started looking at all these other guys work and it just blew my mind seeing stuff like that. Brad makes or Kevin Brad is do. in Brad samples. Yes.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, dude, phenomenal
1: brian byers i mean jeremiah there's so many of them that their work is just beyond thought sometimes when you look at it and i just found myself sitting and staring at the work that these other guys were doing and because i had the shop here with a lot of tools that you wouldn't find in a normal call shop it gave me the avenue to start doing things like um segmented inlays and stuff like that. So I've had the background and the know how with wood. It was learning the sound, the shape, the politics and everything <laughs> else that I had to kind of learn all that piece of it. But that was the best that was the most satisfying part to me was creating the sound. I've got three drawers full of just demolished, terrible inserts over here. I still got the first insert that I ever did off of, at that time, it was a public jig, and I couldn't even get it to quack on a public jig.
0: (laughs) Man, uh, what was it like that first time? I remember exactly what it was like for me, Um, but that first time you took one of your calls out, middle of season, and you hit it and you turned a mallard on it, what was that feeling like?
1: That is, that's that moment where it's all worth it. Because it can sound good in the shop, and it can sound good. I, I'm i that guy that takes a lanyard and a duck call to the park while people are out there with their kids feeding bread to the ducks, and I'm trying to call them away. I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> but when your test runs are park ducks compared to, you know, breaking away that tail drake that's at the back of the group, and swinging them that right there is uh, i can't really describe the feeling
0: it's the validation man because it's like you can blow a call and be like record it and be like oh you know that sounds pretty good and have one of your buddies come over and blow it and yeah it sounds pretty good i think it sounds good but you never really know until you get out to the field and you start breaking ducks and you're like dude there it is i've got it
1: and it's crazy too because i can pick up a call that I had that I made then and run it down. I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds terrible. Or it doesn't transition worth a crap. It, the high, the top end of it sucks. And so I'm, I am I can critique the crap out of the board now that when I got it that day, to that point, I was doing backflips thinking that that was a championship duck call, that they didn't make one better.
0: Bro, you're telling me, you know, I build them all off of flat jig still because I'm always, always trying to build that better one. And I just never have enough, like, oh, yeah, this is the one I want to build my jig off of. And then I'll pick it up and run it two weeks later and have built 10 calls since then and be like, eh, I don't know. I want to tweak with this one a little bit more. <laughs> and I can just you're never. You're a lunatic. I, can, I can't bring myself to do it. I sit there and sand on duck calls probably two hours a night.
1: I think the best thing I've ever seen you post on social media was the uh, castaway thing.
0: <laughs> that's what I feel like, man. Trying to start a fire, I'm freaking See, sanding those damn duck problem. holes.
1: And part of you is the, the problem that I have now. So I was wanting to experiment with a taller deck height on my board for a long time. And I talked to you, and you told me that you had gotten the uh, that one from Wade.
0: Yeah, that 3 5?
1: Yeah. Because my current board, if I had to pick something I don't like about it, it I want to get more out of the bottom end on it. Mm-hmm. Mid to top, I like a lot. You've got two of mine over there. So, I mean, you've gotten to play with them, too. It, I've got three jigs now. And it, a lot of it's just been that progression we were just talking about. My first jig, knowing what I know now, I should have never had jig. It, it's literally just a expensive paperweight because it does not sound good but then it's progressed beyond that the problem i get is when i'm using the flat jig all the time i've got like nine prototypes right now laying on my bench and i will sit there and mess with them so long that i forget what a call is supposed to sound like
0: yeah, I, that's why I always keep one hanging out. Oh, a couple different uh, you know, established calls hanging out and pick them up and blow them every now and then because, yeah, you'll forget exactly what you're shooting for.
1: It, it's so easy, and I'm king of standing too far because I want to get just a little bit more out of it, and then I'll ruin a good board. Yeah. I, and I couldn't tell you how many times I've done that. So I've gotten now to where if I get to that sweet spot where it's got what I'm looking for, I stop right there and I'll play with it a little bit. I'll take it out in the field, and I'll hunt it, and then I'll send it to somebody else because there's a whole lot of guys out there that can run a call better than I can. And, like, Ronnie Turner's got one of mine right now, and he had the last prototype and sent it back to me, and then I jacked with it instead of sending it to Wade and ruined it. So I've been trying to remake that board
0: and you can then. It's gone, man. No,
1: it, it's never the same, ever. And that's what cracks me up. is You can have... A lot of people don't understand just how big a difference something as simple as one swipe of a fingernail file makes on how a call sounds.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Um, There's all those little tweaks and changes, and it's just... I don't know. It's it's part of the fun, but it's definitely frustrating. I still build off that three five. I you know I like it. Um, I need to get back another three three five. I don't even have one, and start tweaking with them. But I don't know. I stay so freaking busy that I don't I don't mess with enough stuff like I should.
1: See, and that's my thing is if I go down that rabbit hole, I can't stop myself and bring myself back to i've got so many orders that i don't have a whole lot of free time to play with like i've got a a cut down prototype that is been sitting on my bench for eight months now that i still haven't finished playing with it's it's there i just haven't had time to mess with it because if i start playing with that then i'm not taking care of customers or People that have
0: been on my books waiting. Well, and that's a, that's a tough line to walk. It's kind of like anytime I have free time and I'm out doing stuff and, uh, you know, just living life. And if I have anything on the books that I'm not messing with, it's always, you kind of feel bad. You're like, man, these guys have been waiting, you know, for months on end sometimes. And I'm out here screwing off and having a good day and not messing with their calls. You almost feel bad. But it's that fine line to walk of staying, you know, Sane, sane versus, uh, you know, getting stuff done.
1: See, and that's been one of the biggest things for me. So, it, even something that's your passion can become work. Oh it, yeah. It's doing what I do now is a hundred times more satisfying day in and day out than going to work and being on conference calls and rolling out what changes are going to be taking place. And all the stuff I used to deal with. But when I would come home, I would turn it off. So there's a whole bunch of things that I've had to retool and relearn myself. One of the biggest ones is being able to turn it off. Because my shop's at my house, it's too easy for me to just walk into the shop. And I'll get up to go to the kitchen like I'm getting a drink. And the next thing I know, I'm in the shop, the dust collector's on. And I'm spinning a blank. So I've, got, I've had to put limits on how much time I allow myself to spend in the shop because I've also got to make sure that I'm spending time with the family, doing stuff with the kids. I can't just be in the shop 24-7. But at the same time, it'll wear on you when you've got a list that's just never-ending. And you build the same call over and over and over again. I try to do a lot of exotic woods, just things that are different. And, you know, it's more fun when you've got a blanket, you're excited to see what's inside it. Yellow cedar bro quits being exciting
0: after the after 18th you smell pound. it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I hate the smell of Yellow cedar burl. Some people like it. I'm not a fan of it. It's better than Ironwood, but I'm not a big fan of the smell of YCB. But I've done, like, Thirty something YCV calls and you do the same call so many times. You try and do each one a little bit different. So there's not, you know, exact same calls out there, but there's only so many different things you can do with them. That's, so it's,
0: that's one of my biggest like pet peeves and I hate doing it when you get a custom blank and you have enough left for the same type of call. You could theoretically build the exact same call twice with the same blank, and you have one for sale, or it's a custom order, and then you get a ten messages that day. Hey, I want a call just like that, and you know yeah. that you have the blank sitting there that you could build the exact same call. And I'm like, I just can't. No, not right now, man. Maybe, maybe in a couple months. But you you know you don't want to ever tell anybody no. But it's like I don't want to do that. That's boring to me.
1: And it gets that way. And <laughs> just having books, and so that's where. Where I'm at right now what I've been torn with, my books have been closed for, I don't even know. I think I closed them in April. And I still haven't got to a point to where I've even gotten to my waiting list that I have. So it's, and I do this full time. So it depends on what I'm doing, but I'm putting out a lot more calls somebody that's working a full-time job doing something else for the most part
0: yeah yeah i've only done 50 since like uh september something like that whenever i started you know building again
1: i would say i've probably done
0: 50 this month
1: i've probably got to be around like four or five hundred this year
0: jeez man
1: i mean it's i don't know for sure that number may be a play i i stopped numbering them because i couldn't even keep up with that because the way that I was numbering them, if I did another call before one, then I was it was just too much to keep up with. I was trying to keep track of where every call went, what day I made it. I had a log, and now my log is nothing more than a list of names, what they wanted, and if it's done or not. And I've had to even put that in Excel because I've, my notebook was just too much to try and keep up with and it's, it's just been wild it's so I've, part of me has thought about going the route like what Ernie does and just build what I want to build and sell it but the other part of me knows that even I collect calls so if I wanted to have you make me a call and so you know I collect HRB and I started a collection for my son with Desert Ironwood Burl so if those are the calls that I'm after and say that you're just sporadically putting calls out, I would much rather have one. I don't know. It feels different if it's built for me versus it being built and then me buying it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can understand that. So I don't want to lose that piece of it. So I've been trying to find a way to balance it to where I don't burn myself out, but I can still continue taking orders to where I'm making people what they want instead of me telling them this is what I got you can have it or don't get it and uh, one of the things I've been doing that I talked to Bear Lyle about is doing like one day a week or two days a week where I just make calls that are off the books and post them up and that's actually been working really well because one, it gives me a chance to do something that's different that I haven't been doing. I get to make something I want to make. But it also gives people, if they're paying attention when I post it, because normally I just post them on my call page if it's available. So it gives people a chance. that Maybe if they're not on my books or if they're way out on my weight and they like a call I post, they can get one then.
0: Well, yeah, it gives people who... Uh you know aren't paying attention or you know who are 6 months down the waiting list a chance to snag one up it might not be the one that they custom ordered but you know something to hold them over and it gives you the chance to get a little creativity out or spin that blank you know that you've been excited about but nobody's ordered because that's the worst thing to me is uh you know going out and buying all these different blanks and stuff like that and if nobody wants that material in that color and you have something that you're really excited about, I'll just turn it myself. And then I'll throw it up You know, as an off-the-books call. But I can't wait around for people to uh, to want that call in that color sometimes because I'm just impatient. That's just the nature of my being.
1: And I've done that, too. I mean, it, and one of the biggest, I wouldn't say a detractor, but one of the parts where it gets frustrating is when you're wanting to try something new and you're trying to find the time to do it, like, doing i've been trying to do more of the uh fancy style calls so i'm just playing with carving now and when i'm not good at something i want to keep doing it to improve at it
0: oh it takes so much time to carve
1: it does and i'm nowhere close to even thinking about doing something to where i would sell it to somebody right now because there's so much to learn but when you're trying to work on expanding your craft, you've got to make time to do it. It's just a, there's only so many hours in a day. Right. So if I'm not making calls, I'm not making money. There's no vacation days doing what I do. I don't have a CNC line. Everything that I make is what's providing and putting food on the table. I don't have one of my own calls. It's, I just haven't made myself one. Every time I said I was going to, I ended up selling it.
0: Right, right. You can't bring yourself to do it. I haven't made myself one this year until the one I just sent you a picture of today. Actually, that uh, that Buckeye bro in Blackwood to match the one that you made me, and uh, I had made myself one just like that back in like two thousand sixteen, and had samples make me one like that, and then Kyle Huff made me one like that, and uh, Meredith made Kyle's me one like awesome, that. Dude. Kyle is fucking great, man. Kyle has two or three of mine. I had one of his. And I need to order another one, but, yeah, dude, Kyle's good people.
1: Oh, yeah, I love Kyle. He actually lives about 30 minutes from me. No joke. Yeah, Yeah, we're supposed to get together at some point, but with his job, he's traveling all the time. I actually talk to him quite a bit, and eventually we'll get together and do something. But I've got two or three of his, too. Yeah, I like Kyle a lot. He's a real good guy.
0: So let's get back. You told me kind of when you started, you were in furniture, you wanted to make one. Um, You know, everybody comes up with their own shape or, you know, kind of where you start and it evolves through the time. Um, When I first started making my calls, um, I don't know, I made 50 or so and everybody told me they looked way too much like uh, an addiction. The old old model addiction. So I talked to John Kep for a while, and you know he gave me his blessing on it. He's not worried about it. Some other you know bum turning off public jigs, <laughs> making a call that looks kind of like his. He wasn't worried about it. Um, and then I just changed it up and tried to make it more my own. And you know I know that you had some problems with that at some point too.
1: Yeah, and that's always so one of the biggest battles is there's only so many different ways you can shape a duck call when it's still looking like a duck call. I mean, don't get me wrong, you can get pretty crazy with it when you're spinning a piece of wood. You could make it look like a clarinet if you wanted to, but... the
0: You want it to look good still, you know?
1: Exactly. You want it... When people look at it, you want them to look at it and know it's a duck call. So... There's like two hundred thousand different shapes out there, and when I first got started, the one thing that I wanted, I wanted the thin call. I didn't want a massive bowling pin hanging from my lanyard.
0: Right, like mine.
1: So, no, yours isn't bad. It's got those sexy shoulders on it.
0: Right, right, like uh, you know, post-op shoulders.
1: Yeah, like it. Skip Shoulder Day, <laughs> right? No, so and that my shape just kind of continued to change. A lot of it was by me taking too much material off. But if you look at my original call shapes, I mean they changed a ton. And over that course of time, Josh Raggio actually reached out to me, and I hadn't been making calls very long. So he asked me to call him and I called him. We had a long conversation and he is one of the nicest guys you'll ever talk to. Josh is a great guy. And he was kind of talking to me about my call shape and that it was close to his. So after that conversation, and he never asked me to change it. He was asking me things about my call so that he could explain it to people when they asked him. That was the reason why I changed shapes. So, as I made a few changes in the beginning, there was still the fan crowd that thought it was too close. So, Josh never called me and complained about it.
0: And see, I think that's the misconception, is I think everybody, you know, kind of thought that you got blown up on, not necessarily by him, but they pressured you into changing it, is kind of what... From the sideline, I don't know anything about it. Just you know, a sideline point of view is that's I, that's what I thought happened.
1: And that was that's one of those things you don't want to you know do. A, I didn't want to drag Josh into stuff that he shouldn't have been having to deal with in the first place. But the biggest reason why I made drastic changes, which I think they're drastic because I make them. And even then, when everybody was losing their minds, thinking that I was copying Josh's calls, not once was my goal to ever see how close I could get a call to look like Josh's calls. Ever. And I had to take a step back and look at it and go, okay, from a person that's not making calls and staring at them every day and may not look at them as closely, if you're scrolling by, is it similar? Yes. Yes. But the biggest thing was I didn't want Josh having to explain to people about my calls because they were asking him. Josh has got his own stuff going on. He should not have to explain the differences in our calls to people. So that was why I made the changes to my shape that I did. And it was stressful. I mean, the whole deal was I didn't want to turn any calls until I got changes done because I didn't want to keep sending calls out with that much controversy going on around them. That and I do this for a living. So everybody losing their minds the way it kind of all happened, it's twofold. You don't want to get involved with it and start trying to defend yourself, because a lot of the guys that are on there, I don't know them personally. So you never really know somebody's tone when you're reading a text. You're reading it how you think it's being said. And if you you get caught up in all that stuff, it's too easy to overreact to something. So I got off social media for a few days and got in the shop and was essentially back at square one with kind of reinventing my shape, making changes to certain things. I probably ruined about 50 barrels that day. I just grabbed a ton of hedge and cedar and started running through them and There was only a few calls that I could even think of that had the uh, lip ring on them. And so I started playing with the lip ring, and I liked the way it looked. And if you look at my calls even now, from when I first made that change and I started doing the band seat and the lip ring on them, the lip ring then was smaller than it is now. Uh, Brian Phillips calls it a secretary booty. (laughs) It sticks out on there now but I like the way it flows with the call. So that was what I landed on and I actually sent Josh pictures of it and him and I had to talk again to make sure that when he looked at it, even just scrolling by there was not any more confusion on his call versus mine. And then since then it was, it's all died down quieted down now. I mean, if anybody thinks that my call looks just like his now,
0: It's just a joke most of the time.
1: Yeah, and you've got the jokes and stuff, and I've got a good sense of humor. I mean, you and I talk quite a bit, so you know that a lot of that stuff doesn't bother me. It's just one thing. Josh and I both do this for a living, so when you do it as your livelihood, you're going to be a little more guarded about it than if this was just a hobby for me. But since I've made the changes... Honestly, I like my new shape a lot better than the shape that I had before, and I haven't had any negative feedback since. So, yeah, it's uh,
0: it's definitely distinguishly. You know, I don't know if that's even a word. If I'm just making up shit at this point, but it uh, it it's definitely yours. You know, there's no confusing uh, yours with anybody else's. It's kind of like mine. I get it once a week. Hey, is that a DLC? And then you actually sent me a picture of mine versus a DLC, and it's like, hey, you know, I've been telling you guys forever that, yes, they might look similar to the people who don't pay attention to detail, but they're really not. But yours, you know, you look at it now, and there's no confusing it with anybody else's. Yeah,
1: I know. I, I really, I can't think of anybody that has, like, a real distinguished lift rest like I've got on mine. Uh, I know Kent Eason does. And Mr. Kent's an awesome guy, too, because when I was playing with it, I even messaged him and I was like, hey, do you think that this is getting too close to your shape? And he just laughed at me and told me even if it was, he's not worried about that kind of stuff. So it, it's typically what I have seen when you've got shapes that are similar. It's rarely the call makers that are making a fuss out of it.
0: Right, yeah, that's what we were talking about. It's generally fanboys and quote-unquote pro staff that uh, jump on there and want to start problems, and then you talk to the actual callmaker themselves, and they're like, I don't see what the big deal is, you know? And you have a nice conversation with them if they ask you to make any small changes or, you know, you recommend it, you do it. But most of the time, the callmakers don't care because we all know what it's like. We all know that there's so many shapes that you can have you know there's only so many things that you can do to separate your calls unless you just go off the rails and make a crazy shaped call you know and put a a giant ball at the end of your insert to make it yours but then patent it to where nobody else can do it you know there's only so many things you can do to just separate yourself anymore and um, you know most call makers understand that
1: Well, it needs to be aesthetically a good in my eyes i want it to be something that people would want to display and put up on a shelf when they're not hunting it but when, the same approach that i took when i got into making calls was the one that i had with furniture so you can go buy a dining room table for rooms to go if that thing makes it five years that is a antique for the way furniture is built now
0: yeah it's There's not no real reason. wood anymore
1: Exactly, and there's a reason why there is antique furniture that is still around today that was built 100 years ago. It's because it was built with solid wood. There was pride taken in the craftsmanship of whoever built that piece of furniture. Is it going to need a new finish? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I don't know of any 100-year finish, but the integrity of it structurally, for the most part, is still there after God knows how many Families have had it. Kids beat it up because it was built the right way. And that was my whole thing when I got into making calls. I had my grandfather's call. It was an old walnut call that you can't even get the insert out of the barrel anymore. But it's still there. And he got it when he was a little kid. So I'm the third generation now to run that call. That was the first call that I ever had when I was a little kid.
0: Well, see, and that's what you hope to pass on.
1: Exactly, and so any call that leaves my shop, I always hope that one day that call means as much as it did to me when my grandfather gave me that call. Even though I'll never take it out in the field again just because I wouldn't want something to happen to it, I remember being a little kid wailing on that thing and him smacking me in the back of the head because there are ducks coming in, and I'm deciding to try and finesse my comeback call at six years old. <laughs> just just wailing on it.
0: And Anybody who knows your talks to you is not surprised by that at all.
1: Oh, no. And I, I will never forget. The first time I blew in a duck call was that day, and I just tried to see how loud and how much air I could get through. That thing sounded like a kazoo. He smacked me in the back of the head. And told me the next time I do that, I'm going to be riding home with his foot in my ass. <laughs>
0: that's freaking great. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way grandpas are supposed to be.
1: But just picking that call up just was like a flashback to that day. And it was crazy because I've had it for years now, but it was just in a box in my closet. And I I didn't go duck hunting at all for I'd say probably 10 years because I didn't have anywhere to go and my family that had got taught me how to hunt when I was you know, a six-year-old little kid had moved up to Montana like guess, 16 years ago. Uh, so I would hunt when I would go up there to go see them. But I hadn't hunted down here and a friend of mine took me out so I got into my hunting gear and all my waterfowl gear and saw it. And that that day that moment when I picked that lanyard up, that's what sparked what I'm doing every day today. And so that's that's what I hope that every call I send out is gonna mean to somebody else. They're Boy. not cheap, but they're built to last and that's the difference. That's what I try to explain to people. You can go get, you know, plenty of acrylic calls from online there's so many great sounding calls out there heck man the
0: first my first call was a 20 dollar freaking double nasty you know like and i killed the crap out of ducks with it
1: exactly so there's tons of acrylic calls out there that sound freaking awesome but is that something that i would want to hand down to my kid? is that something that's going to mean something is it an heirloom is it something you're proud to have and hang on to that's That's the route I wanted to go with this when I got into it. And so even after the shape change, all I wanted to do was try and find materials that nobody else is using. If you look at that time, I think everything I was put down was like a coca bolo burl or just something off the wall. Brazilian rosewood, you name it. I was wanting to try and find different things. The problem is almost everything has been turned into a duck call at this point.
0: Right. Right, it's hard to find anything that's not. People are using freaking countertops. Paint is now the new thing that everybody's going into.
1: Exactly, and so it's it, when when a new product comes out, it gets what I'm guilty of it myself. Like crazy when that crazy fiber. fiber came out, yeah. I saw it, and I was like, I gotta see what my call looks like with that. And then I turned it, and I hate turning that stuff. It makes such a freaking mess. But it's not as bad as True Stone. True Stone's another one. I wanted to use True Stone, and that's like turning granite. So there's some stuff that, like, uh, somebody had posted a carbon fiber that they were messing with today. I think it was Ziegler.
0: Yeah, that looks sick. It was like carbon fiber mixed with uh, nickel or something, wasn't it? Or aluminum?
1: it looked like if i turned it it would blow up
0: yeah yeah well do you use hh hss or do you use uh carbon bits
1: no i use the carbide tips yeah
0: you know? me too man that's the way to go
1: it, it's so much easier and i had some nice sorby turning tools that i got like one at a time because they're so expensive and they're great tools but sharpening them constantly yeah when you're turning as much as i am it's i had to take like every two days and stop and go sharpen everything because when you wait until they dull down you start
0: breaking stuff yeah yeah you freaking have a hundred dollar blank on there and you have a dull tool and catches and you have a you know blown up freaking blank and wasted all your time and effort and now you got to wait for another one to be shipped out it's just a headache
1: yeah, and that's why i hate turning acrylic i've never met acrylic i couldn't
0: make it explode man acrylic when you get those carbide tips especially if they're new i hate turning acrylic with brand new out of the bag carbide tips but once you've had them on for a couple of weeks it becomes so much easier but yeah i'm still not a fan of acrylic oh uh, it has no character to it you can do some crazy colors and stuff like that but uh i like using it for sleeves and then uh, I like ivory personally for some random things, but acrylic is not See, the way to I go. I like
1: accents with yeah. it, but when you do a full, solid, all the same color, it's tough. And what's crazy is I I would not turn acrylic. I would tell people when they ask me, I don't do acrylic. All I do is wood. And I would do micarta and some stuff like that here and there, but I just refused to do acrylic for a long time. For that reason. Because the whole reason I started making calls was I wanted to make heirloom types of calls. And acrylic just didn't fit into that for me. Because it reminded yeah. me... Of, yeah, it has no character. Exactly. And uh, then I, I've got a third collection now of white, tan, and black bead blasted calls up on the shelf. Because I take them out and I beat them up on a lanyard. So, I mean, I when I started doing that then i started understanding more why some people prefer them and they may just like the sound of acrylic which i've done the same thing you were just talking about i have sleeved plenty of calls in acrylic well yeah it's
0: the maintenance factor
1: right and they're easy enough to make i mean as long as you don't like make it explode <laughs> right but i just i hate drilling it i have transmission fluid when i drill the blank out it's just a nightmare then you got other guys like Derek jackson is king at that stuff because he does it non-stop dude all the time. his
0: clear is ridiculous and i gotta clarify from earlier i don't want don barton blowing up my freaking phone i wasn't talking trash on real calls i was just using an example of somebody going out of the box to make a shape that was distinctly theirs um you said Derek, and it just reminded me but uh no, Derek, man, his his clear work. He loves that stuff, and he takes great pride in making it clear. And I don't know if you you saw that clear wood burl mix thing that I did a while back. Yeah. Yeah, I got a message today. I usually get about one a week of somebody asking, you know, if I would do another one. And I told them that one took me five years to you know get the stones again to make because I hate it so much and they're going to pay a pretty penny for it. Most of them are like, all right, well, I'll, uh, I'll get back with you on that. Or some of them are like, all right, put me on the books. And I'm like, okay, it'll be a while.
1: It's the worst thing ever. And so Derek is not only awesome at doing clear acrylics, he's also incredible at critiquing me when I do one. So even if it's a semi-transparent, I'll send him a picture first, and then he'll send me a picture back zoomed in. You have a scratch here. That's like, freaking right.
0: hilarious.
1: Yeah, he he likes to give me a hard time. Derek's a good guy, though. We mess with each other quite a bit. But I, So when I saw that call you did, I was like, okay, Chris is stepping it up. Now I got to do something stupid like this. And I actually talked to Derek's because what I'm wanting to do, I don't want to do the wood like yours because I don't want to do the exact same call. But I've got a bunch of these offcuts of that um, bear tooth camo acrylic. Yeah. And so what I'm wanting to do is take some of that clear acrylic and do that bare tooth camo band and tips on it, kind of like what you did. Yeah, yeah. And see how that'll look.
0: Dude, it's you can do some nasty stuff with clear. Um, I tried to do a Coca Cola sleeve over clear one time, and the uh, the glue. I kept getting, like, in my epoxy when I glued everything up. It just wouldn't give me a solid line, like, underneath it. So you'd have, like, this weird little bubble between the acrylic blank and the Coca-Cola sleeve, or whatever sleeve I said. It was Coca-Cola, but, yeah, it just never turned out right, and it was super disappointing, but I got tired
1: of throwing. If you use heat, it'll get rid of some of it. You just got to – I've never seen one glued in like that where it was crystal clear, with a five-minute epoxy, you would have to use uh, something like Total Boat, like a resin that you would pour into like a river table. Right. That'll dry clear, and then you use heat, like a torch, and the heat pops the bubbles. But it's got to dry for 24 hours.
0: Yeah, and see, and then at that point, you're not using real acrylic anymore. You're using freaking that pour-in resin that's a little bit softer. I don't know. There's that name brand with using, you know, Spar acrylic. People are like, "Oh, is that a poured blank or is that an acrylic
1: blank?" See, and that's one of the things. I won't ever use a uh, poured resin for a tone board.
0: Well, yeah, it's yeah. it's soft number one, and it's porous.
1: Yep, and the problem that I found with it when I tried to do it early on is the cork notches. Are yep. Weak. So the last thing I want is somebody to, you know, the first thing that people do when they get a call in is they look at it, they spin it around, and they pull the insert out. And then someone will mess with it and then they shove it back in there. But the last thing I want is to send somebody a call on the cork notch break off. That's a lot harder to fix.
0: Yeah. Well, my favorite is uh, when people do like resell calls on the uh, secondhand market and then I'll tell them to send it back to me for a cleanup. You know, I'll re-clean it and tune it up for them, and stuff like that. You get and the most high-pitched Mickey Mouse. Sounds oh my God! I'm like, who, who messed with this damn thing? And you know, I I put out a lot of calls in the very beginning that I probably never should have put out, and that's the learning curve. But uh. Oh,
1: I did the same thing.
0: Yeah, but I mean stuff that's more recent. And uh, my buddy had one that. I watched sit on the trade market for, I don't know, five months. Nobody could move this stupid thing. The one with the carved insert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I told somebody, I was like, I will freaking redo you another insert. And it happened to be one of my best friend's brothers ended up trading for it. And he's like, no, 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 I want the carved insert. And I was like, all right, you can keep it. Took it out. Somebody had shoved the new read in there. I took it and, you know, roughed up the tone board a little bit, threw a new read in. And I was like, dude, I... I actually kind of want to keep this. Can I build you a new insert for this thing? Because I actually really love the way this thing runs.
1: Yeah, typically what I find when I get them back for retunes is they're ready to rock and roll for teal. <laughs> right. You put air in there, and you you could bring some blue wings in with it.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's. I think Michael said it the other day, Meredith. It was like people who. He was saying people bitching about wanting other reeds and corks in their calls are the last people that should be tuning their freaking calls or some shit like that. And, you know, there's a lot of really good call tuners out there, so I won't say everybody, but, yeah, that's generally the case, is you should uh, change out your cork every couple of weeks, but just leave the reeds the hell alone.
1: Exactly. And that's, you can always tell when you get them back because I know what my reed cut looks like, and I know where it's cut when i send it out but you can hear it i mean as soon as you put air in it and you hear that that read is now a full eighth of an inch shorter than it's supposed to be that's why it's i'm always kind of hesitant on how many extra reads if any that i put in a box because part of me wants to send extra ones so if they're gonna experiment or play with something they're using that read instead of the one that's tuned already right but then it, it's—I tell everybody all the time because you can't fit a call to somebody's personal blowing style if they're not in front of you or you don't know personally what they like. So I was trying to ask people, "What, what are you looking for?" Because not everybody's going to know, you know, how much back pressure or hold that they want in a call. So I'll ask them, you know, what kind of calls are you running now? If they don't know the answer to those questions, and I tell everybody. If it doesn't fit the way you want it to, get a hold of me. I think a lot of customers are worried that they're going to upset a call maker by saying, hey, can you tune this differently because it doesn't fit the way that I want it to fit me. And I don't think any call maker that I know anyway gets upset when somebody asks them that because I know, me personally, I'd rather have that call fit them the way they want it to to where they use it
0: well right exactly and i know me personally i run a call very very aggressively i run it i use a lot of air pressure so people will (coughs) excuse me contact me or something like that and they'll be like oh man this thing is super hard to do stuff on you know and i'm like yeah i just put a lot of air they're like well i can't get low i'm like use the same air pressure just cut off your air sooner and actually watch bobby hayes uh make a video talking about just that and i was like here you go this is how you get your lower end notes you just use the same air pressure just cut it off quicker and uh i think a lot of guys just you know people blow different ways how they grew up blowing and stuff like that and it's always fun seeing a call go right back on the resale market you know a week later i'm like ah you must not like the way it fit and then i'll have people message me like oh man this thing fits perfect i'm like you probably blow a call a lot like I do then.
1: And that's what it comes down to. That was one of the things early on, it was always like a, a pride hit when I would see one of my calls on the trade market or up for sale right after I'd sent it out, or it would upset me thinking that you know I didn't do what they were looking for me to do in it. And so it took a while to where I just realized, one, some people just move calls constantly. They don't keep anything or it doesn't hit them, and there's nothing wrong with that because exactly what you just said is the next person that gets it, I've had it happen I don't know how many times where I'll get a message, hey, I got this call on a trade. I freaking love this thing. How can I get a different one that's made for me?
0: Well, yeah, I've seen people post up on freaking groups, hey, got this brand-new and don't like the way it fits me, looking for something else. I was like, you don't like the way an R&T fits you? Like, what the hell are we talking about? How about you learn to blow a call the way that it's intended to blow? Because if there's a mass-produced call out there that's blown by numerous world champions before it leaves the shop, it either, A, you're not blowing the call correctly, or B, you know, I, I don't know even know what to tell you.
1: See, an R&T is one that I've, I've never had an R&T call somebody actually sent me a couple of them because I had that same conversation with them and I couldn't told you what any of them even sounded like and so I've got a, a daisy cutter and a I think it's short barrel something like that they're sitting in a drawer somewhere in my shop and they're good sounding calls I mean it's not what I would aim for with the call I was making for myself personally but what you just said, I can pick that call up and I could go use it and kill
0: ducks. Right. That's exactly my point. There's there's definitely more calls, you know, that I, I like and don't like and uh but it's not that they're not capable of killing ducks. There's just other calls that I like more. Like uh my favorite call out of all the ones I've ever blown, ever tested, big names, I have a freaking old school Ostovic uh big meat bore. It was like a year and a half into him. Making calls after I'd seen him like two thousand fifteen or sixteen, that thing is the hands down nastiest call that fits me to a T. I absolutely love it, and it's just a simple hedge call with a burnt ring on the you know mouthpiece and the insert. But I absolutely love that thing, and I tell everybody you know all my call making friends. I was like, dude, you have to hit up Eric and get a freaking Ostevic? That thing is ridiculous.
1: Oh, Eric makes an awesome <clears throat> call. That's another guy, dude. That's an awesome freaking guy.
0: And it's so underrated. Yeah, oh, yeah. Every time I post a call, Eric, he, he likes to give me a hard time. He's like, man, I wish you would go to sleep and quit making calls. I'm trying to catch up. I was like, dude, I didn't turn for two years. I knew how many you made.
1: Oh, he does the same thing to me all the time. He calls me CNC Duck Factory or something. <laughs> he says I'm like a one-man CNC.
0: Yeah, dude, as many as you put out a freaking day.
1: As somebody was asking me the other day how many I can do in a day. Again, it's, like, it's too hard to try and quantify that into a response because one call could take you all day to do. Yeah, and then if you just do a basic
0: hedge call with a normal in, you know, band. Oh like, yeah,
1: if I'm doing just straight green, unsleeved inserts, I can knock out eight, nine calls a day. It, Because then it becomes an assembly line. I mean, you you drill all your blanks, you round all your blanks, you do all your inserts at once, and when you're just shaping one after another, it's quick. But that's where that's those days where it works. Yeah, that's uh,
0: yeah, it's not fun. You're not being creative at that point. But you know, I understand bills got to be paid too.
1: And there's only a few times where I had a run of fifteen cocoa Calls that I did, and I had them all done in like a day and a half. And the reason they got done so fast is I was so ready to be done with them. It's just I dreaded looking at that order coming up, knowing that I had to get it done. And what I should have done was do like two and three at a time. But instead, I waited and waited and waited until I had to do all 15 (laughs) of them that quick.
0: Typical procrastinator.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, man, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Uh, I was saying, I'll get sidetracked. It's like what we talked about. You see a different blank on the bench and I'm like that squirrel.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got to break this monotony up and do something that's fun. Oh, yeah.
1: I've had some I've rounded them just to see what they look like. Yes.
0: That's one of my favorite things to do. (laughs) It's ridiculous, man. I'm like, you know, I'll talk to the girlfriend and she'll be like, all right, are you coming to bed? And I'm like, oh, no, I just got blanks in today. I'm going to go out there and see what's going on. All right, don't stay up until 3 or 4 in the morning. All right, I won't. <laughs>
1: yeah, and then you're up at like 2.
0: Yeah, never went to bed. I'm going straight back to work at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we're running about, uh, about an hour now. Uh, I think that's a good spot, man. I think we should do it like, you know, once a week or once every other week and just kind of keep going through the evolution of uh, how you got into it, maybe get into uh, next week. About when you made that decision to, you know, switch from furniture full time to calls, because I know you, you said you had gotten sidetracked messing with calls and you were losing track of orders, but really dive into when you decided to make it a full time thing, because not many call makers are really doing it. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for that. I've been—I've
1: never done a podcast before, so it's the first one. But I mean, you and I know one another, so it's a little different than if I was in a room with a bunch of people I didn't know just sitting
0: here talking. Bro, if we were in a room we'd be drinking beers.
1: That actually sounds better than what I've been doing just sitting in the shop staring at blanks. Right?
0: (laughs) I know, I'm sitting looking at my nightstand with both of my phone and recorder right up next to each other while they're playing. It sounded like Connect Four was going on in the living room. I kept hearing shit drop as they were opening the door. (laughs) But, uh,
1: yeah, man. I think my kids got a wrestling match going on. Their bedroom's above my shop, and I just hear them like hitting the floor.
0: Yes. Well, it's about time to go in there and uh, beat some butts. Bedtime, really.
1: <laughs> yep. All right, yeah, brother. No, man, that sounds good. Just let me know, and we will jump back on.
0: Cool, man. Sounds good to me. Well, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in, and if you guys have any questions or you're pissed off about what we said, just go ahead and send us some love love mail, and uh, appreciate you coming in, and we'll try to do this again next week.